0: You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. We were at the beginning of the eighth chapter of Shekhalem. This is the last chapter. And we're we're looking at lost objects and at things that go wrong, things are found. And we began the chapter yesterday with spit, which is found in Jerusalem, which seems like a kind of a weird subject for the Mishnah to discuss. But that, that's the first Mishnah. <laughs> and then the Mishnah goes on to talk about Kalim, about vessels. So, so you can see the Mishnah is almost segueing into material which is more connected to the Beit Midash. And the language is the same, by the way. So the first Mishnah, Kolha Yarukhin saim Birushalayim, all the spit which is found in Jerusalem. And the second Mishnah, our Mishnah tonight, goes Kol Kalim hanim tsaim and then the next mishnah will go on sakin hanim so the vessels kolakelim hanim tsaim all the vessels which are found in jerusalem derech if we find them going down to the place of immersion they're impure derech aliyah if we find them on the way up they're pure because the going down isn't the same as the going up Divrei rabbi meir rabbi meir seems to have an idea that there are two paths it's a bit like a one-way system we're going to go down to the place of immersion probably because we want to go down to where there's running water and anyone who's been to see the city of david knows actually that the running water is down below so, and the the hills are pretty steep, actually. So it's not surprising if we go to Rabi Meir's assumption that they had two separate paths. One path leading down. And if someone dropped a vessel there, we assume it's Tameh. And then one path leading up. So that um, if a vessel is found leading up on the path leading up, then we know it's Tahor. And Tahor. The Rambam has another view that somehow people could tell from the way they were holding the vessel, whether it was pure or not. I I just don't, I, I mean, I, I don't quite get that. But the geographical issue, particularly thinking through the context of the steep slopes down to the water in Jerusalem, I, I can understand the geographical concept. And that's the easiest way of understanding Rabbi Meir. And Rabbi Yossi says, Rabbi Yossi Omer, Kulan to he says they are all pure. He's got this assumption that any vessel found in Jerusalem is pure. So his assumption is that there's some that there's some wonderful social cohesion in Jerusalem. And people keep their vessels clean. If you find a vessel in Jerusalem, you assume it's Tahor. And the only exceptions he makes are vessels which are specifically dedicated to work in graveyards. The, the, um, the basket and the rake and the pick. Which is specially used for graves. So in other words, unless if you don't, if this utensil is not specially dedicated to graves, you can assume in Jerusalem that it's tahor. And that means, of course, you can use it. What about a knife? Sakin. And this is a knife which is found, but it's found in Jerusalem. So the context is in Jerusalem, even though we don't say Sakin Shenim Tseit Birushalayim. Sakin Shenim this knife which is found, Ba'ar Ba'asre, ba'ar it's found on the 14th, of, this is the 14th of Nisan, of course. It's the time when, of course, everyone is bringing their animals and their knives. Um, if the fourteenth falls on Shabbat, they they shove the knife into the fur of the animals that carried on Shabbat to the temple. Every I mean, Jerusalem is just full of of, of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. You could imagine the amount of lost property there is in Jerusalem on the fourteenth. And halacha is, if you find a knife on the fourteenth, shuchetba miyad, you can use it immediately. So the assumption is that someone who's bringing a knife. To jerusalem on the 14th has brought it in a state of taharaz brought it in a state of purity bishlo shonel matbil on the 13th we must immerse it again maybe again because well maybe the owner immersed it once but maybe he was bringing it to immerse it we don't know and we're careful Ve'kofitz and a cleaver, a cleaver this is a massive massive sort of meat axe, a kofitzi, sort of some kind of meat axe, which we use for breaking bones. It's not used for slaughtering. It's not used for slaughtering. A cleaver is not used for slaughtering, whether it's found on the 13th or the 14th, we immerse it. What if the 14th falls on Shabbat? So the 14th falls on Shabbat. Shuchet We can slaughter with it immediately. The Rambam here, by the way, says that we're talking about a knife, not a kofitz, not a cleaver. Although the commentators differ here. It's much easier to understand... Well, we we can debate what the best way of understanding this Mishnah is. If the 14th falls on Shabbat, then we can slaughter immediately. If we follow the Rambam, that's a repetition of the previous Mishnah. And on the 15th, we slaughter with it immediately. Because by the 15th, we assume that the the knives have been tovelled. We assume they've been immersed. There's no need to um there's no not only any need to immerse the knife again but there's no possibility of carrying out the tahara on on yomtev so the 15th is already Tov and we're not going to immerse a knife on cholamoed actually on 15th it's chag actually we're certainly not going to immerse a knife on a festival nimzei Shralasakin, if it's found tied to a knife now here we have trouble with the rambam's interpretation this sounds like a cleaver If it's found tied to a knife, we assume its status is the same as the knife. In other words, that the. um, We assume its status is the same as the knife. In other words, if the knife is found on the 14th, we can slaughter with it immediately. And if a cleaver is found on the 14th, tied to a knife, then we assume they're both tohorim. We assume they, they're both usable. The Rambam adds, by the way, and I brought the Rambam on the source sheet. We don't need to go through it in detail, but he adds that we're not just going to immerse these, these utensils. According to the Rambam, we are actually going to sprinkle the sprinkling water on them, the water of the red, red heifer. So really, we don't have any idea what this this knife has been in contact with perhaps it's been in contact with a with a human corpse in other words a primary a primary source of tsuma, and just to make certain we're going to sprinkle it with the water from the red heifer with the water of the ashes of the red heifer before we before we use it because the rambam says it's possible that the owner got it out to purify it and then lost it and you know we've we somehow picked up this knife so the Rambam goes right the way to the most, you know, the most extreme form of purification. Parochet. What about a curtain? And w- w- again, we can see here we're creeping into the center of the temple. Parochet shenit ma. Sorry, parochet shenit mate bivlad hatumah. What if a curtain was defiled by some second order uncleanness? So a primary uncleanness is. For example, a person that's been in contact with a dead body, that's a primary uncleanness. But if if that person touched some food, some liquid food maybe, and then that food touched something else, the the something else has been defiled by something of secondary uncleanness. And that is purely rabbinic. And the Mishnah explains, (laughs) Makbilin ota machnisim ota miyad second order uncleanness we immerse it within that means within the temple so we don't have to take it out of the temple it's not like a sheretz that we have to take out of the temple on a priest's girdle remember we talked about different ways to get a sheritz out of the temple if we found one in the temple we don't have to get it out of the temple we immerse it inside the temple and we put it straight back on but but the et need mate, but if it was defiled by a primary uncleanness. At this point we need to do something. So we immerse it outside. The We spread it out on the khel. The chel is some kind of boundary between the women's and the men's section. And it's it, it's somewhere you can just spread it out to see shamash, so it, it needs the sundown to go down it, it needs the sun to go down before we can put it back so we spread it out on the hail everybody can well a lot of people can see it we'll, we'll see in a minute how many people can see it a lot of people can see it and we're going to leave it there until sundown for if it was new if we if it was completely new we spread it out on the roof of the colonnade. Am Et Ta So we we really want to show off what a beautiful curtain this is, and we spread it out on the roof of the colonnade so everybody can see the beauty of this this textile work that's inside the Beit Migdash. Which I guess normally they wouldn't see. Well, they might or they might not see. So, and you might ask, well, what are these curtains, parochets, made? What are these curtains that might be defiled by a second-order uncleanness? So, there's a there's a, there's a description in Yoma. In the name of um, of Rav, Rabbi Zera brings in the name of Rav, shloshah parochot Hayubami Apparently, there were thirteen curtains. In the temple. So this is this is probably one of the thirteen curtains. And some of these are exterior, by the way. So if they were exterior, you can see how they might have been come into contact with something that was impure. So what are these 13 curtains? Shiva Kanega Shiva charim So there were seven curtains for what each of the seven gates. We talked before about the seven gates. And then there were another two sh'taim, another two sh'taim. Achat liftoch liftoch shel, shel ulam. There was two more. One of the entrance to the sanctuary, and one of the entrance to the entrance hall. And then, and then another two, um, t- another two sh'taim Bidvir, Two actually within the holy of holies. Two actually within the holy of holies and two corresponding to them in the upper chamber so above the holy of holies there was an upper chamber uh, uh, there was a chamber right above it that kind of corresponded to it and there were two curtains hanging high up above the holy of the holies corresponding to the two that were just outside the holy of holies so we see as we finish the Mishnah Shkalem were creeping closer and closer to the centre of the temple. We began by saying, "Gosh, um, this is a bit like an administration manual for the temple, but it's very, very widespread and diverse. Everybody contributes. The rich don't contribute more, and the poor don't contribute less. So we begin with the whole of Israel, actually, with the Mishnah Shkalem, but we are going to finish the part, finish the the Masachet, right." In the holy of holies and we'll carry on uh, getting closer and closer to the temple as we pick up the the last few mishnayot tomorrow thank you for listening to this edition of the daily mishnah podcast with benedict